Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Becky Morrison with us here today, who is a mother, wife, and business process literature, UC Berkeley certified executive coach and consultant. But more importantly, she's ready to be your success partner. People and processes are at the heart of the work she's done for the past 20 years, whether working in a corporation, large law firm, or entrepreneurial environment. Becky has seen the values of meeting people where they are and frankly, honestly assessing processes and making smart changes open deliberately. Becky excels at helping people with a lot going on to cut through the ethereal and get to the core of the matter. Her ability to connect this disparate dots to provide meaning and insight makes her uniquely able to help her clients get to what she what is important so they can live happier and easier lives. She's a graduate of Wesley College and Georgetown University Law Center and a member of the Maryland and DC Bars. Becky's birthed both as a litigator and administrator in large law firms. She's managed hundreds of people in complex high stakes and high stress environments and has seen firsthand the impact of having the right people in the right process at the right time. Most recently, she was chief operating office of an entrepreneurial investment firm because she has experience in both large and small organizations, Becky has a unique perspective on how smaller organizations can grow more efficiently and professionally. Now she's taking you on her experience and passion for enabling success and work with people like you, individuals and companies looking for the future. Becky's excited to talk about what you can achieve together. Becky, welcome and thank you so very much for being here. Thanks, Jesse. I really appreciate you having me. I'm excited for our conversation today. I am too. I'm super excited for our conversation. And I want to, maybe we could start with two, how do you go from Georgetown University Law to Berkeley Certified Executive Coach? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the heart of the story, right? Um, and it, it was a transition that took um, several decades. Um, I spent, as, I, as my bio said, I spent a long time, uh, I was a litigator, I spent a long time managing people in big law, but through all of that, I was really sort of honing my own focus on what was important to me, what mattered, what, what really drove my happiness and my joy and trying to get closer and closer to that. And so I recently described it to somebody as I took a series of left turns and they asked me, well, if you took so many left turns, did you end up back where you started? And, and the way I would describe it is, yeah, I, I sort of spiraled kind of closer into what mattered to me. Um, but really, truly over a um, decade and a half long process of discovering what it is that makes me tick, what it is that I'm really good at, and what it is that brings me joy and allows me to bring joy to others, because I think that's why I'm here on the earth. What is it that makes you tick? What did you discover for yourself? Because I, I feel like that's such a, a fascinating insight to, people's, to people, and I feel like many of us go through life not unaware of what even makes us tick. And if we could just find and hone in on that piece, that thing that makes us tick, it would transform relationships, businesses, relationship with self, our own, our own quality of life. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I think here's the deal, right? Like society is not set us up to discover what makes us tick. Society has set us up to hear from everybody else what we should have make us tick, right? What should define success, what we should want, what we should want to look like, what we should want to have, what we should want to do, what the next logical step is. And so getting to the heart of what made me tick required peeling back a lot of those layers of should and really thinking about, okay, where do I find joy? What makes me happy? And a big part of what makes me happy is being a parent. A big part of what makes me happy is helping people 
and being of service. And a big part of what makes me happy um, is solving problems. And so you put all of that together and you think about how am I going to architect a career out of it? How am I going to architect a job, something that has value and that I can get value in return? And that's how I landed on coaching. But again, not at all a straight line, not at all a quick path. It really takes time to kind of uncover who you are at your core and get rid of that noise that comes in from all these other sources trying to tell us who we should be. I want to go to the core, Becky. I feel like there was something that you said in the bio about a lot going on. And I feel like many of us have become masterful at busying ourselves with being busy. And sometimes my observation has been that that busyness of being busy is almost a hypnosis to detract us from focusing on what really is an absence of understanding what is at the core of who we are, what matters to us. What is the process of getting to the core? And what do, I guess there's two parts of this. What do people often find they're lacking and what is it that they are searching for that they would like to have to be there? Hmm. That's a big question. So, I mean, the, sh the short answer, and I, I say this a little tongue in cheek, Jackie, uh, Jesse, the process of getting to the core is um, what I wrote a book about. <laughs> so I have a book coming out in the spring called The Happiness Recipe, and it literally is um, a coaching, an action guide to help people uncover what it is that really makes them tick and their own recipe for happiness and then begin to execute on that. And that's, a, let me be clear, that's a recipe for happiness right now today in the season that you're in, not a recipe for aspirational happiness in the future or when, right? Hmm. So it's not someday I will have and then I can. It's given where I am today, given the constraints of my current season, and that's how I describe it as a season, what is it that I need to do to maximize my happiness and how do I get there? How do I um, build the behaviors that support that? And how do I build, more importantly, the beliefs and feelings, the mindset that supports that shift? Um, and so that, that's a really short answer, not very actionable, but I can tell you that the book is really, really tactical and really driven on, you know, it's, it's I think, so I'm, I'm currently editing it, but I think it's about 22 chapters. Each chapter has at least one activity designed to help you sort of execute on the ideas in the book. And the answer of how to figure it out is a little bit different for everyone because happiness is so, so personal and where we get stuck in happiness is really personal to all of us, right? Mm. Some people are hung up, like I said, or like you said, on, on all the noise of busyness, right? Like I want more, I want different. So I will just keep doing more. I will keep adding to, and someday I will get to the thing that makes me happy. Well, what you really get to is a whole bunch of noise, right? And, and, you know, busyness, we treat busyness as an achievement, but busyness is not an achievement. Busyness is a state of being in which we are not putting our energy towards the things that matter most to us. We're just putting our energy out there and thinking that that means that we've achieved something. It doesn't. It's just another way of avoiding that self-reflection, that looking at what is it that, that I am at my core? What do I need to be happy? There's like a fear of doing that. It's scary. Mm. A lot of us haven't done it. A lot of us aren't acquainted with ourselves at that level. Um, you know, and I've had a few beta readers go through and read my book and, and that's some of the feedback that I've gotten, which is the first part of the book. So let me back up a step, sorry. Um, so in the book, I talk about three things that get in the way of our happiness, three gaps, okay? So we have the authenticity gap, which is when we're not honest with ourselves or with others about what we really need to be happy. 
the third gap, and there's a reason I'm jumping, is the one that we often go to. Once we solve authenticity, once we get clear on what we want, we jump right into doing it. So I call that the physical energy gap, where we aren't spending our time, um, resources, and energy doing the things that matter most to us. We're spending our time on a whole bunch of noise. So the whole idea is do more of what matters and less of the rest. But there's this middle gap that we often miss. And that's the mindset gap, the beliefs and feelings gap that really need to be there to support movement from what we want to doing that thing, but in a lasting way. So do we believe we're good enough? Do we believe that we can say no? Do we believe that we can release guilt? All of that falls in this middle gap that I call the emotionally, emotional energy gap. So back to what I was saying about feedback from my readers. A lot of people have said that they were surprised at how hard doing the work in the authenticity gap section was because they thought that they were pretty authentic. They thought that they were pretty true to themselves, but they had not been very realistic or very honest or very willing to claim out loud what it was that truly made them tick that truly makes them mm. happy, that truly brings them joy, because it didn't fit in society's definition of what success should look like for them. Mm. And so, and I would agree, I mean, these are people, most of my beta readers are people within my network, people who I know pretty well, and I'd agree, they're pretty authentic, real people, but there's a depth of authenticity required to really grab onto happiness that most of us aren't, aren't living at on a regular basis. Do you find, do you find that there's some common societal expectations that are usually more prominent culprits in that elusiveness of happiness? For example, I guess, I think happiness in, in the United States, especially, it seems to have in many ways attempted to be commercialized. And we're, we're taught and bombarded and advertised to that if we buy this, we'll be happy. If we buy, I, re, I remember reading a book once and it was a book on growing wealth or something like that. And it, and it cited this really unique statistic that effectively 80% of the $50,000 cars, cars that cost more than $50,000 were driven by people who made less than $50,000 a year, right? So you're basically selling this promise that once you have the car, then you will have the emotion, <clears throat> which we imagine for most is, is happiness. So do you find that there's these common themes that people are running into when they're exploring authenticity around happiness? Are they, do they usually confront things like, is there maybe one or two that really stand out? Like I, I'm supposed to be married by this point, or I'm supposed to have a relationship like this, or I'm supposed to have this car or. I would. I would say, I mean, the short answer is yes, I think, but I would, I would categorize it broadly as I'm, it's supposed to look good. And when it looks good, I will be happy. And that applies to all of it. When I have the car, when I have the title, when I have the house, when I have the clothes, when I have the purse, when I have the marriage that looks perfect on Instagram or Facebook, mm. then I will be happy, right? Without realizing that none of that is reality. Like there's no, there's not a world in which we only experience good things or easy things or things that are comfortable, right? Life is about a whole spectrum of experiences and a whole spectrum of emotions. And we've spent as a society so long pretending that happiness means only good, only pretty, only shiny, only, only, you know, social media worthy, 
that's not happiness to me, right? A big part of happiness from my perspective is being willing to engage with the whole spectrum of the human experience and having mm. the tools to manage through that. And by tools, I mean both um, tools that you can employ yourself, but also the network of support that you can enlist around you, right? Tough things happen in life. What are we going to do about that? We can't control it. We can't stop it from happening. And we can't let having a tough experience be an indicator that we have somehow failed per se, right? And that's where it comes. It's like this idea that success is only the pretty stuff. Hmm. That's not success to me, right? I mean, to me, success is living the human experience, but doing it in a way that you are constantly growing, constantly evolving, constantly changing, and willing to engage with the difficult experiences, um, but then being able to integrate those into your life as a whole, because it's the whole spectrum that matters. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's where I come from. That makes total sense. And I absolutely love that. I think that is such a beautiful distinction because success is one of those words that it's kind of almost become arbitrary in the sense of we use it, we throw it out there and we don't really define it, but everybody has an image that pops up in their mind and what it is. And usually that image is, is consumer driven, commercialized mm -hmm. house, car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And to actually define it as such where it's, it's going through and it's, it's really living life mm -hmm. and assimilating life experiences in such a way, the good, the bad, the not so pretty, and the downright ugly and being able to come through them in a way that makes life more meaningful and then perhaps increases your ability to make a more meaningful, for me at least, a more meaningful impact on the lives of others. And, you know, I'm sure you and I can both attest to this too, that probably for some of the most horrible parts of life is what has ultimately down the road through the work led to some of the most meaningful, enriching and fulfilling parts of life because it was how we chose to assimilate to those experiences in life. I think that's 100% right. And we're trained. I mean, we are, we are literally trained from the day that we are born, in my opinion, particularly in the United States, to run away from the hard parts. Like, yep. just don't engage with the hard parts. Because that's not, that's not success. That's not where pretty is. That's not... But I think you're 100% right. It's when we truly engage in the growth and wisdom that comes from the hard parts of our life that we really sort of step into our full selves. And um, I think, you, you know, you asked, you asked, how does one go from Georgetown Law to executive coach? That's how, right? By engaging with the hard parts of our lives, by engaging with the moments where really tough things happen. Um, there were a couple turning points for me kind of five years or so out of law school, um, you know, I had a young daughter, my husband at the time was working in counterterrorism, and I really was confronted head on in a couple really challenging ways, one of, one of which resulted in me almost dying. I had an ectopic pregnancy that ruptured in, in, with, with hard parts of life, with really tough circumstances. Um, and I'm not saying I handled them with um, perfect grace by any stretch, but I, but I went through the mud, you know what I mean? And, and that forced me to take a look at what am I really doing here? Like, what am I really, what is this all about? You know, like I could have made partner at a law firm and made a, you know, a really hefty salary each year, 
but is that going to actually feel good, make me happy when I look at my life? And for some people, the answer is yes. And I, hey, I'm here for it. It's about what makes you happy. But I think it's about being really honest about why that is a source of happiness for you and that it is a source of happiness for you. Being able to tell everyone that I went to law school with or that I grew up with, hey, I made partner. I didn't really, that, that didn't feel fulfilling to me. Mm. Um, and that is not to take away, like I have worked with some incredibly talented legal professionals. I've worked with some lawyers who truly love practicing law. And that's super fun to see. But it also made me realize I don't feel that way about practicing law. And so giving up what I have to give up to do it well isn't worth the trade-off to me because I'm not getting anything in return. Whereas they're giving up a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort, but they are feeling fulfilled because they lo literally love practicing law. That's awesome. I appreciate so much, Becky, you acknowledging the going through the difficult parts and not it necessarily being full of grace. I, I found for myself that the most difficult moments of my life have been completely void of grace, but they're actually filled with snot sobs, tears, anger, frustration, a feeling of hopelessness at times, a sense of nothing makes sense, the conversations with God, you name it, it's there. And what I appreciate most about you acknowledging that is I was, I just started reading a book a friend of mine wrote about the loss of her child. And what she was talking about with it was that in those early days of, of going through the grief, going through the mourning process, trying to make sense of the senseless situation, there's this fear of how people will perceive us. So the tendency to want to hide away or avoid or whatnot. And it's such an interesting thing that we have that attached, that, you know, that pretty part of life attached even to the most raw and real part of life that we we sometimes think, my goodness, like if I'm grieving, if I'm mourning, if I'm going through the most horrific and challenging times of life, I still have to show up in a certain way because I'm going to be judged and people have this expectation of me. And I, maybe that speaks largely to your part about authenticity is the inauthenticness is us showing up for the expectations of others, whether they're de clearly defined or not. And I find most of the time those expectations aren't even defined. It's just expectations that we assume that they have of us. Yep. Right. But, and then really authenticity would be going through it, snot sobs and all complete lack of grace and acknowledging, yeah, man, that was really, really freaking hard. And I did not handle it <laughs> with, with grace and ease, but I went through it. I handled it. And then I'm taking from it and growing from it what I need to, to really kind of put and use the pieces of that to put together the puzzle piece that is my life. Yeah, I mean, let me tell you, yeah, yes, is the answer, is, is what I have to say to that. And I mean, when, when I had that experience and I had that ruptured ectopic and I, you know, almost bled to death and I was in the hospital and within less than 10 days, I was back at work full time litigating. Mm -hmm. I just pretended it didn't happen. Like it was like, oh yeah, that, that sucked, but you know, I got, I have things I have to do. I've got, you know, I've got cases, I've got clients, I've got partners asking for things. And so I'm going to show up. And I was not like, physically, I wasn't at a place where I should have been doing that. And certainly like mentally, emotionally, spiritually was not at a place where I should have been jumping back in like that. And um, it kind of caught up with me uh, 
and and really led to this moment of you know like i said is this what am i doing like mm. i i have a two-year-old and a husband and i almost died and is this the life i want to live i mean not to not to be too um cliche about it but like when you stare death in the face there is this moment where you're like huh is this really going to be it is this really my legacy i mean i can distinctly remember driving to the hospital um, and sort of like in and out of consciousness. And what I'm seeing is conference calls and meetings in conference rooms. Like, you know, your life flashes wow. before you and that's what you're seeing. That's not the life I want to live. So wow. that was a big motivator to to change and really get get honest with myself about what it was that was driving me and what it was that was important to me. And at that point, it was my family. And that that became a very high priority for me although I continued to work outside the home, I continued to work full time. Um, I did it in a way that I made clear that I was going to take time off to be at school events. And I was going to leave early some days for, um, you know, sports events. And I was, work was not going to be more important than my family to me. And that was the first shift or the first left turn that I took that sort of hmm. pulled me back around. You know, hearing that story now, it gives me all the more appreciation for your bio that it starts with, I'm a mother. <laughs> right because yeah. i think a lot of us write our bios from the career accolades and those types of things and we 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 write and we state what we think is we're supposed to state and what's going to be most important for mothers or for others <laughs> and we often negate even mentioning what really matters most to us because of maybe again it's that perception of how am i going to proceed professionally whatever it is and so the fact to hear that story now that you're having this near-death experience and that what you're flashing on your screen of your life is conference rooms not your not your family not your child but conference rooms and to see now the reorganization of you're leading with this professional bio and it starts with i'm a mom yep i mean that's that is the crux of the of, of my evolution right is really how do I start to live what I, and this is what I call it. How do I start to live a priority aligned life? How do I get clear in this season on what matters most to me and then live in accordance with those priorities? And so, I mean, sort of from that, that moment kind of through about a decade plus of work, I, I absolutely was a mom first and that was my first priority. And my job decisions were made based on that. I looked at, you know, I, there were times where I, interviewed for other jobs and I said no because I knew it would mean a shift in priority that I wasn't ready to make. A couple years ago when I started my own thing and you know now fast forward I've got two kids but they're older. I have a junior in high school and a seventh grader. They need me in different ways. I have a little bit more time. I'm still in my mind a mom first but work does take more more time, more attention. I'm building my own business. I'm, I'm writing a book you know and the cool thing has been finding ways to integrate being a mom into that, ways that my kids can be involved, ways that we can talk about the work that I'm doing. And I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I think finally I'm doing a job that they can understand a little bit. <laughs> you know, like we've talked a lot as I've been in this book writing process about ideas I have for the book and I've got their thoughts, you know, or I've gotten their thoughts and I've even incorporated some of that into my writing. And I think, you know, it's about, I mean, priorities change and they evolve and they absolutely should and can, right? I mean, when we, when we, you know, I, I, there was a point that I had a job and I was single. I didn't have a, a husband or kids. And so 
obviously my priorities shifted as I got married, as I had children. And now as my children grow, they're shifting again and just acknowledging that, but then also really letting that be something that guides you. And when you can define and get clear on what your priorities are in this season, then you have a whole framework um, for making decisions and it becomes much, much easier and guilt falls away because you've been clear with yourself and with the people who matter most to you. Hey, this is the order of things in my life and this is how I will be deciding. And they get it by and large. <clears throat> I want to, I want to ask you about getting clear, but before I do that, I want to just ask you one other question kind of around this section we're talking about. Uh -huh. You mentioned when you went through that and you were back at work within 10 days and you were not ready to go back to work. You know, knowing what you know now, fast forwarding today, if you went through a similar situation, how would you, would, is there a way you'd approach that differently? You know, what would you ask for yourself or what kind of standard might you set for yourself? How would you check in with yourself? And the reason I ask that is because I feel like many folks, and especially in this climate right now that we're in, where we're going through all the stuff with politics and COVID and everything else, and the economy's been so rocky. We might be, you know, England just shut, or UK just shut down again. So there's all these uncertainties for many of us. And I feel like many of us are riding that space of where we feel like we have these responsibilities and things we're supposed to do, but we may not be checking in and being clear and in alignment with ourselves. And I, and I know from working with folks in the past who have confronted similar things as you, where they've gone through and said, I, I, I knew this was too early to go back, but then something similar happened in the future and they did the same thing again. It was like they hadn't learned. And I think it's such a rare gift to be able to hear from someone like yourself who went through something, who's gone on this journey and can maybe offer some introspectiveness to how you might handle it differently now so that maybe people can draw inspiration from that for their own journeys. So one of the things that has become a big theme, both in my life and in my work is that rest or downtime is productive. People have this idea that taking time to heal, that taking time to rest, that taking time to reset, that taking time to recuperate is somehow not productive. Like, oh, I wasn't productive. I took a nap today. No, that's productive, right? You're rebuilding your energy stores. That's important. And so um, I think for me, if I, I would hope that if I were to confront something like this again, I would do a couple things differently. Uh, the first would be that I would allow myself, my body, my energy, my soul, the time to rest. Um, and that requires being honest about what has happened, about where I'm at and how I'm feeling, um, asking for help, using the resources that were available to me. I mean, at the time I was working at a very large firm, I certainly had access to short-term disability and FMLA and all kinds of other resources that I just didn't avail myself of because I wasn't ready to confront the reality that I that I that something really extreme had happened, right? So that was my own fear that I think got in the way of me taking that that rest. And then the other piece is just enlisting support and being really open and creative about the ways that I do that, right? I mean, there's so many amazing resources that we have in the world that can help us heal emotionally, physically, spiritually, energetically, and just really being willing to ask for help um, has been a journey for me, but I would hope that were I to go through something like this again, I would be more willing to be honest about the fact that I needed help and to be willing to call that help in um, and being open to different ways that I could get support. So I guess those are the two things that I would say that I would do differently. I just posted actually yesterday on LinkedIn, I posted something that said rest, rest like it's your job because it is. Mm. I love that.
you talked about getting clear. Many of us are unclear. The fact that the greatest clarity we have is around what we don't want, you know, but then we inevitably get more of that. And so there's, a, I find there's often a lack of clarity with what we do. What are one or two steps, one or two key steps people would take away? I love when folks are able to walk away from this with actionables. What are one or two actionables that people can walk away from this? They set this podcast down, they take their earphones off, whatever it is, they get out of their car and they have two, one or two clear, concise actions they can take in helping them gain clarity. So I, I would offer, I would offer two things and these might seem unrelated, but just roll with me. So the first is I would really take the time to think about what season you're in right now. And by that, what do I, what do I mean? I mean, not winter, spring, summer, fall. I mean, season of your life. What's important right now? What's taking your energy? What are your limitations? What, um, what's in your life? Like just really take stock of where you are today and sort of define a season. So like for me, I'm in a business building season. That means that business is right up there at the top of my priority list. And so other things are not happening right now. Um, and so that's the first step is just to get clear on your container, if you will, for your current life. And then the next step I think is to put aside limits for a second and really engage in a wide ranging thought process of what are the things that I've done in my life that I've experienced that I've seen that truly bring me joy. Mm -hmm. I'm happiest when I, um, I can't help but smile when, um, when I am doing X time fades away right? Think about those things and be wide ranging. It might be playing with your dog or walking on the beach or looking at travel blogs. I don't know. I mean, it, there's no wrong or right answer, but I mean, just be as wide ranging and unlimited as you can without thinking about, I mean, I think what happens a lot of time is we like have this inner judge that comes to the party who says, well, yeah, okay, you're happy when you're playing with your dogs, but you can't do that for a job. Or that's silly. Like why would, no, no inner judge, just a wide ranging exploration of what truly brings you joy. And I would encourage you to do that exploration somewhere other than inside your own head. Mm. So write it down. I have a big white wall in my office. There's almost always post-it notes on it because that's how I like to think. And the reason I use post-it notes is because you can move them around. So if I were, for example, doing this exercise with a coaching client, I would say, okay, let's get out the post-it notes and let's just start sticking them up. And what happens when you do that usually is they, they start to take this organization, <laughs> you know, like you organize them in a way that's meaningful to you and you start to see patterns around what is it that you really get energy from? What is it that really brings you joy? Is it interacting with other people? Is it learning new things? I mean, suddenly you can develop these themes and then you can think about how to integrate more of that into your current life. So those are the two that I would offer as sort of somewhat <laughs> tactical action steps. You mentioned in your bio that you're often found curled up with a book. What are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Well, so I'm reading two things. Um, so I like to kind of alternate some personal development stuff and some fiction. And um, I went to college with a really, at Wellesley with a really wonderful woman named Jasmine Guillory. And she writes um, some romance novels that are awesome, like Beach Reads Chiclet. So highly recommend her if you're looking for something light and you're into that kind of thing. 
Um, and they're not like extreme romance novels. I describe them more as beach reads, but she's, she's really phenomenal. She was also an attorney and now is an author. Um, and then on the personal development side, um, what am I reading right now? I'm kind of in the middle of in between books. I just finished Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, which was really awesome and all about creativity. So I'd recommend that. Um, one of my favorite personal development books and really something that sort of informs a lot or is in align with, with what I think is a book called Essentialism by Greg McCowan. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of it, but mm. it's all about this idea of getting doing less of doing more of what matters and less of the rest, which is really the underpinnings of kind of the way I approach things and have been approaching things. And so we're very, very similar, but um, also a little bit different. So he's another one I'd recommend. Maggie, before I ask my final question, where can people find and connect with you online? Absolutely. So the easiest, quickest way is to go to my website, which is www.grantleycoaching.com backslash podcasts. And there's a whole bunch of resources for podcast listeners there. Other episodes of podcasts that I've appeared on, a place you can sign up to get on the wait list for my book um, and a mini course that I'm giving away free to podcast listeners. So again, that's www.grantleycoaching.com backslash podcasts. Um, and then of course I'm on Instagram at the.butterfly.society and on LinkedIn. Very good. 2020 has been quite a an unusual year for many of us. And I think unusual is a safe and also <laughs> a safe and yet purposely vague enough word that we can fill in our own blanks, blanks around that. As someone who so much of your work is about getting to the core of what matters, has there been anything for you during your 2020 that you've discovered that has taken on a deeper meaning and sense of you know, that you've learned that matters more to you than may, it may not have as much in the past, given the unusualness of 2020? So I would just say, I don't know that there's anything that matters more, but like 2020 for me has just solidified that it is so important to get clear with ourselves on what drives us. Because I think a lot of the discomfort that people feel right now with having, and I think that's a fair way to say it, is that we've had the literal rug ripped out from under us in a lot of ways, right? And I think a lot of the discomfort that people are feeling around that could be, I don't want to say gotten rid of, but mitigated with an understanding of what, if, if we all were really clear on what drives us, on what matters most to us, we could find ways to achieve that given the new constraints, right? Mm. Or get closer to it. And I think what has happened is instead the rug has been ripped out from under us and we don't even know what it is that we're really missing, right? Like, I'll give you a dumb example. Like if I'm somebody who loves to travel, all of a sudden I can't travel. If I don't know why I love to travel, what it is about travel that drives me, I can't replace it hmm. in any meaningful way, right? Yeah. But if I understand that what drives me about travel is being free, having no obligations, new adventures, meeting new people, then I can maybe think about ways to re replicate or replace, it's not gonna be 100% replacement, right? But like ways to feed that part of my soul in these new constraints. And so just getting clearer and, and knowing ourselves better has been, um, you know, a big part for me of 2020 of like, well, all this outside noise, I can't do it. So what is it that I really need to be happy? And how do I create that for myself as best I can, given the constraints? 
I just want to add a testimonial to what Becky just said. Having one of the things that became abundantly clear to me is I, like so many, was missing connection from others. And often I would use travel or seminars, workshops, trainings, live events, those types of things as a mode of connection. Well, that wasn't happening this year. And you all have heard me talk about the little kittens in my life. And what was really incredible with it is is making it a point of realizing I missed a connection. So how can I connect more with these little beings? And getting down on their level, trying to see the world through their eyes, really getting involved with them when they play. And it has been the biggest and one of the most unexpected sources of joy in my life I never realized was there. And it's allowed me to evolve from looking at them how I may have once looked at them to looking at them as their own little soul, their own little entity, realizing these little unique quirks and personality differences they have with one another even though they've been raised and, and brought up in the very same way. And it is, it's about, it's that. So I, I love what you just said about taking the time to identify what it is that's really there. If you're not traveling, what is it that you really love about travel? And then how can you find a different way to replicate that in your life? Yeah. I mean, I think that that is at the core, right? And if you can, if you can develop a menu for yourself of what really drives you, you know, what is it that really brings you joy? What feeds you? Um, then, then, then kind of no matter what happens, you can figure out how to get some food, right? <laughs> get fed. And, and I think that's a big deal. Everyone, my goodness, there's this one you're going to want to watch and re-listen to. We went on quite the journey of happiness, clarity, going through the hardships of life. I love the redefinition of success about not having to be perfect and Instagram worthy, but really being able to go through the hard stuff in life. And and use that hard stuff and assimilate it into your life to make your life better. Becky laid out some two clear action steps to getting clear and using clarity as a way to be able to gain a greater sense of understanding what matters most to you. We talked about really clarifying the difference between what matters and what doesn't matter and how oftentimes there's so much of a, an obsession that we've been taught to focus on what doesn't matter. But really looking at what is happiness for each of us, she talked about the individual experience of it and we talked about the consumerism of happiness and how we're taught that you need to buy this and acquire this to be happy. From an extraordinary journey from Georgetown Law to Berkeley certified coach who has posted notes on our wall to be able to sort things out and gain clarity. One of the things I've really appreciated about this conversation with Becky today is everything that she shared, it was feelable not just thinkable, but feelable. And I've often found for myself and as a parameter North Star in my life, me being able to think about something is one thing. Me being able to feel something, it resonates at a deeper level. And it shows me that there's a truth in this that I need to pay attention to. So as you rewatch, as you re-listen, notice the feelings that come up with you and lean into those feelings because those are often the breadcrumbs that can lead to your greater clarity, your happiness, your deeper meaning in life and ultimately cut through all the busyness that we mentioned before and really getting to the core of who you are and what matters most. Becky, this has been such an incredible time with you. Thank you so very much for being here. I deeply appreciate you. Thank you, Jessica. I appreciate you too. Absolutely. And we'll have you back too when the book comes out in the spring. Awesome in the spring. Sounds yeah. great. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to them.